Hi, this is James from Wheel, and you are listening to the podcast. Welcome back to Prodcast. This is your host, Randy Salo, and calling me all the way from Finland is James from Wheel. Hey, James, how's it going? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. It's good to speak with you. Yeah, great to speak with you, and um, you have a killer new record coming. I'm super psyched for it. I've heard it. It's awesome. It's Resident Human, and it drops on the 26th of March, and uh, we're going to talk about it today. Absolutely, yeah. It's great to finally get the thing out. Um, so for our listeners who haven't yet um, discovered you, could you give us like a little bit of background on the band and you know where you come from and what you're up to? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I can start from I was a student in northeast England in a town called Scarborough. And I was in uh, lots of different bands at that point. I was drumming for a professional covers band. I was playing solo gigs. I was uh, doing a prog band kind of in a similar style to Wheel. But um, I was basically completely broke. And I was pretty close to moving back to London, back in with my parents and just getting a career doing something else. And uh, one of the guys I've known from university who I performed with moved back to Finland where he was from and won the Idols competition over here. And he just started inviting me out to play. So um, I kept on flying over here. I think I flew maybe 10 times in 2009 to play various shows. And um, it kind of felt like the choice was either take a gamble and move here and play music, which wasn't the perfect fit for me, or quit music altogether. So I took a gamble. I had very little to lose at that point, it felt. So I just went for it. Um, I was doing that for three to four years. And um, there were things I enjoyed about it. I think uh, some of the vocal harmony stuff was really interesting, but the, the music was just not really my jam. So I think I became a bit disillusioned with it after a certain point and, um, and I decided to leave and got myself a job in software sales. Around that time, one of the last shows I played with the pop group was on a TV show in Finland called Dardon Mikki, which roughly translates to Grab the Mic. And the format is someone walks into a karaoke booth um, somewhere in Finland. They, they sing the... Uh, with varying degrees of skill, the uh, first line to a song. And if you know what it is, us in the studio, press a button on a buzzer or a buzzer button. And uh, the house band starts playing and we sing a bit of the song with the bands. And at that event, the guitarist in this house band was the other founding member of Wheel. And we hit it off right away. Um, and we, we really weren't thinking about doing this for a career or some long-term project. We just, um, I had some songs from this previous band I'd done in England, and I said, why don't we just try doing something with these and just see where it goes. And he, he invited the other founding members of the group to come and rehearse with us. And um, it sounded pretty great right from the start. Um, so we thought, why not make a demo? So in two days, we recorded the whole thing um, and thought this sounds pretty decent. So we got it professionally mixed, and that became our first EP. And we, we took it pretty damn seriously after that. And um, yeah, here we are many, many years later. Lots of other bits happened, but I guess that's a relatively short version. <laughs> um, you guys uh, ended up doing, I believe, two EPs and then brought out in 2019 your debut, Moving Backwards. Um, yeah. And uh, for, for the people listening, like stylistically, which direction are you heading uh, in this progressive world? I think Moving Backwards was a lot um cleaner i think is probably the right word it was um we wanted things like vultures to hit really really hard because it just suits the song um and uh 
it, it just felt like the right direction for that music. I think it tied in with the lyrical themes of this return to tribalism and um, this kind of dystopian uh, social uh, trajectory we seem to be on with the uh, the removal of privacy and um, at the ascent of identity politics um, in a way where we haven't seen them happen um, so much in recent memory. Uh, and I think by contrast, uh, Resident Human has ended up being a lot more vulnerable sounding. And I think it's got, um, it sounds a lot closer to how we sound live. I think ever since we started tracking the drums for Hyperion and somebody said to us, let's just turn the click track off. And it felt like a really big gamble at the time. But um, the movement in the song and the way the tempo flows was much more akin to my ears, at least, to something like Since I've Been Loving You by Led Zeppelin, where, you know, the first snare hit, the tempo drops by something ridiculous, like 20 or 30. And that humanity, it just makes you feel like it's just easier on the ears. You feel closer to the bands and you kind of get a sense of what their groove actually was because there was no alternative at the time. So so we, we thought we'd go more in that direction. You know, you can correct every note, every beat to be to a grid and to be pitch perfect. And uh, we really tried to hold back on that stuff. Like we still edited stuff, of course, but we we tried to do it much more subtly than we'd done on previous records, which was honestly absolutely terrifying. Um, I had a few sleepless nights where I was thinking, have we made a huge mistake before we got the final mixes back? But um, at this point, um, I much prefer this style of working on writing, and I think this is going to be what we do in the future. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I, I, I agree. It's like, I think the record sounds amazing, for one, and... Um, yeah, I, I discovered you actually with the Vultures music video um, uh, in, I guess, two th- early 2019, it would have been. this, w- And it was actually on one of the first episodes of Prodcast, me and my co-host Dario back then, we used to watch videos and then like talk about them on the show. And uh, that was one of the first I saw, and I was like totally blown away by your style, by the video itself with the, with the sort of... Salem witch trials feeling and stuff like this and um, and got into from that point and now when I hear the pro- progression to the new record um, it's you've definitely evolved uh, in a in in different ways sonically and it, but I've I've but it's even like more at times more aggressive sometimes more introspective and stuff like that before we get into the the sonic differences with the new record can we talk about the concept because i feel like your concepts are also really strong you put a lot of thought into the messages you're trying to bring out and you feel it in your music videos as well uh, particularly with this year's uh with um the movement video that you made um do, would you talk about the concepts behind resident human absolutely so i mean um I think from that process in the studio, which I described before, we didn't have any lyrics written at that point. And I think it was more out of necessity. We've been so busy, we just hadn't come up with any vocals and we thought it will be fine, we'll figure it out later, which we keep doing. And one of these years, it would be really nice to start recording, having some idea what we're doing uh, with the vocals, but so far we haven't managed it. Um, But this humanity was the thing that kept on coming back to me um, when I was doing it and this notion of vulnerability. So um, I think both in a sociological, a communal and an individualistic sense, we really want to explore kind of um, what are the things that make us human and uh, both in a modern sense, like it does in movement and ascend, where it's talking about uh, movement was talking about the aftermath of uh, George Floyd's murder, where we saw um, society separate into these two binary columns, which um, there were very few points of intersection. And uh, again, identity politics, I think, played quite a major role. 
in that divide. And it, it was just about this notion where uh, I think all of us basically agree, I think nearly everyone agrees that it shouldn't be uh, possible for police to execute a civilian in broad daylight, um, especially when they're unarmed and in such a pointless, stupid way, and then lie about it. I mean, uh, those seem to be values that most of us share. But then you ended up with all this conflation on the side of, well, not all police are bad. And uh, of course, that's true. Um, and uh, then you have people calling for the abolition of the police. I think that's a terrible idea as well. I think that indisputably society is better when there is some kind of law enforcement. Um, but it's just, so how do we fix the problem then? And then you end up with this, the complicated bit where issues like Brexit before it end up being very, very complex and you can't really um, fix them with a soundbite. Uh, and really just a dialogue between these two social factions, which uh, many people strongly identify with, is something that I'm a major advocate for. Um, so th that was the sociological side. Ascend was talking about how we communicate online. Um, but then on the introspective side, I discovered this book last summer uh, called Hyperion Cantos by Dan Simmons. And um, not the story itself, which is amazing, by the way. It's literally one of the best stories I've read in anything. It's sensationally good if anyone's looking for something to read. Um, but the themes of um, the indifference of the universe and coming to terms with that without becoming nihilistic, that was something that really spoke to me. And uh, this notion that although the universe seems hostile, it's indifferent to us. And because it's indifferent, uh, there's no cosmic obligation. And we're free from that. And... Uh, I think when you stop worrying about what's happening in Andromeda, then suddenly we're faced with just looking at what's in front of us and you find this new sense of significance, or I found this new sense of significance and purpose with the lives we lead and the choices that we make. Very similarly in Hyperion, um, that song is about mortality, and the idea that we're all on this train journey from birth to death um, and we're so fixated on our own experience of that journey and I'm definitely so fixated on mine that we forget that everyone else around us is going through the same existential crises that we are. We're trying to answer the same questions. We're all trying to come to terms with the fact that at some point in the future, we will no longer exist and are trying to work out how to feel about that and how do we reconcile that against our very human desire to survive and, uh, and continue. Uh, and the conclusion I came to was the same, that uh, if you cut all of that stuff away, we're left with senses of purpose and gratitude gratitude that we get to experience any of this. Um, nothing ever said any of it was supposed to be fair, and I'm not trying to write off anything that isn't. We should try and make society as fair as we possibly can as a, as a, as a community. But um, just to kind of feel some more gratitude, because um, I think all of us are reaching. We're reaching above us. Uh, we as a band are reaching. We want to play bigger venues. We want to sell more records. All this stuff. We want to make better art. Um, but just to try and stop and smell the flowers once in a while and kind of appreciate the things that we have. Uh, and I think all of that tied together into this sense of humanity and vulnerability and maybe showing a little more fearlessly that side of ourselves, which, um, which moving backwards is a very different beast. I think that was, um, it hit harder in some places. Like I think that the overall sound of vultures is it's chunkier, it's bigger. But I think movement has a sense of aggression more akin to nirvana. You know, it's got this really violent unpredictability with this movement in the tempo it's got this kind of uh, aggressive looseness to it, which I think just feels a lot more familiar to me. And it's more the direction which we want to go in as a group in the future. Yeah, wow. Um, uh, there's a whole lot to unpack there. Um, I would actually, just to go back a few steps with what you were talking about, I, I would ha recommend a podcast to you. Um, it's called Norco 80. 
And it's actually the story of the Norco bank robbery in 1980. Um, and it, 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 it sort of um, tells the story of how, you know, this small town bank robbery turned into one of the most violent bank robberies in American history, partly because the robbers were armed with like high power semi-automatic weapons and the police department didn't have any. And it it led to the sort of militarization a bit of the police in America, starting with this police department, and then this spread, you know, beyond. And is it's a really um, powerful um, story. This the journalist that that um, wrote the story and created the podcast. She really asks the hard questions of the police department there of whether or not that was really the answer is to militarize the police that they have these. Yeah, leftover, you know, war weapons, you know, tanks and, and you know, AK-47s and stuff against the people of the country, you know. So it, I think it might be enlightening for you, uh, somebody who's been thinking about this. It was for me as well, like, how we got here, you know, how we got to this point where we feel like the police has too much power and too much firepower and uh, where that comes from and... um yeah, um, maybe a little reflection on whether we need that, if that's really the answer. And of course, inherent in that is also the institutionalized race, racism and and all that that goes with it. So don't want to get off on, on, the, on the topic, but I think for you it might be interesting to, to check out the story because it was, for me, like eye-opening of, of how did we get here? How did we get to this place where the police have so much firepower, <laughs> essentially? I appreciate the recommendation. Honestly, I'm, I'm really happy to say I know nothing about that, so I'd love to learn more about it. I learned I it too. A, I met an American guy 10 years ago who was a, a piano player living here in Finland called uh, Wiley Cousins, who's an amazing dude. And uh, we had a long chat about the history of guns in America and kind of the frontier culture and how um, that didn't really add up with, with cities and um, kind of how there's still some hangover from that time. But yeah. This part you're talking about sounds like a gap in, in my narrative in my head, so I'd love to learn more about that. Sounds yeah. great. Check it out. Yeah, it's, it's really eye-opening. Um, and then uh, just to mention the books that you talked about uh, from Dan Simmons, I believe, um, The Hyperion. I saw that there were four books in a series, and I I quickly read the Wikipedia like description of the four books, and it was like so complicated. I was like, whoa, this is like <laughs> mind-blowing. And it's like, and then the next book these characters aren't in it and they're not on earth anymore. They're somewhere else. And it seemed like, well, how did you extract your ideas for the album, you know, from this complex story? So uh, it kind of, it kind of like made a metaphor for me for how you write music like conceptually and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, with the books, um, I was so frustrated when I got to the third book and it was completely new characters, but <laughs> I think I like the third and fourth books even more than I like the first two after yeah. I read them. It's, they're, they're sensational stories. And um, my favorite thing about it, despite the fact the stories are brilliant, are how so much of it ties back to the real world. Like um, in the, I didn't write about this on the album, but there's a, in the second book, no, this might be the first book. In the first book, there's a poet who's traveled from Earth um, via cryogenic fugue to another planet and he's, had brain damage during the, the journey. So the only words he knows when he comes out the other side are swear words. So oh. he, he's trying to kind of relearn English. And this guy eventually other stuff happens and he, he becomes this sensational poet. 
Initially, he writes like a memoir, um, which is a mixture of poetry and kind of his rose-tinted lenses views of, uh, view of Earth, which um, is no longer there anymore. Uh, and the publishing company are like, okay, we'll keep all the diary bits about Old Earth because we can package that and sell it. But this poetry stuff, no one's going to buy that. And it sells millions of copies. It's really, <laughs> really well. Um, the guy becomes really disillusioned and thinks, oh, screw it. I think I'm going to write some poetry. So he does and uh, writes this beautiful poetry book, takes it to the editor. She reads it. She's in tears. And the first thing she says is, no one is going to buy this. And uh, she's completely right. No one does. And th- th- this is um, everyone's uh, jacked into this system of communication, which uh, changes the way we consume things. And it's got like libraries of information we can access instantly. And uh, I mean, this was written in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. It sounds very, very close to the internet we're yeah. now living and the way we're experiencing media. So it's almost prophetic in so many ways. Um, it's a great, great book. And uh, I recommend all four of them to anyone with the patience to give it a try. Thanks, man. Um, uh, one quick thing about um, the, the your ever evolving sound, I would say. I mean, you already you've already touched on it a bit. Uh, you had a lineup change last year, um, and you have a new guitarist, um, uh, Yussi Tarunen, I believe is the the way you say it. Um, how how did this affect the sound, and or how did this affect the writing of of the record? Um, you know, and how did you achieve like this next level for you guys? It's a bit more complicated, I'm afraid, but I'll try and keep this one short as well. So we uh, we got this guy, JC Hulkon, in to come and join the band at the end of 2019 after Ronnie told us he wanted to leave. Uh, Ronnie's never been a big fan of touring, so he likes the gigs but hates everything else around it, so we weren't that surprised. It was just a blow because he, he's a friend and he's just a great, great musician. So uh, we asked JC Hulkon in to join the band to replace Ronnie. He was in the group for about four or five months, but he just wasn't the right fit for Wheel. He's much more of a, an improvising player. And in Wheel, the guitars, they're a bit more locked in. There's improvisation with sound design, but it's mainly this space for the drums to play the role of the lead guitar player, mm. as you can probably hear on the record. Yeah. So um, that didn't really work out, and COVID happens. So uh, due to a lot of complications, I ended up playing nearly all the guitars on the records apart from the solo in Hyperion, where Ronnie came back in to do a guest solo for us. And we didn't find Yussi until over last summer when all the guitars had already been tracked. So we were still working on vocals at that point, and Yussi's been involved in discussing how we proceed with that. But um, I can't wait to get that guy out on the road. The way he approaches sound design especially, and um, his uh, knowledge of using effects pedals to create interesting layers and, uh, and moods, it's such a good fit for us. Um, we've been rehearsing a lot over the last year because it's mostly what we've been able to do. And uh, you'll see it's just something else. So um, all I can say is I think you guys are going to be very pleasantly surprised by how Wheel sounds live when we get back on the road. Yeah, speaking of that, um, any any plans, any inkling of plans in the future for, for when we might see or a live stream or anything like that planned for 2021? Currently, we don't have any plans for a live stream. I think um, we're really trying to work out how that would fit us and how we'd fit it because um, I think when you're playing a live show and we can have a really elaborate lighting show to go with it, that's really got a certain feel and weight to it that's very, very hard to recreate through um, a television speaker or or through a computer monitor or a phone. And uh, let's face it, a lot of people are watching this stuff on their phones. So... uh, I'm not saying we'll never do it. We're, we're actually discussing, you know, potentially um, filming something which is a little bit more life feeling this year, but uh, we're in really early stages planning it and who knows how it's going to pan out. 
Uh, we're also doing regular Instagram content. Every week we're doing chats with different bands. This weekend on Sunday, uh, some of the guys are going to be chatting with um, two of the gentlemen from Caligula's Horse. Cool. And we've done chats with Apocalyptica and uh, Set of Darling, some other bands. We've got all kinds of cool stuff planned there. Um, we're also tentatively starting to look at making some new music, but we've just got a few riffs at the moment. Um, and I would never be um, brave enough to pick a date before we're ready to release it because we can never pick how long this stuff's going to take. But with a live stream specifically, currently not sure when it's going to be. With touring, we we have a tour booked for the beginning of next year, which is with Apocalyptica and Epica. That's going to be um, a fairly major European tour. Um, and for the end of this year, it's so difficult to call it. Like We've got our fingers in a few pies with nothing announced yet. There are some festivals we're allegedly playing this summer as well, but it, who can get at this stage? It's, we've had to move stuff back so many times. We're, we're cautiously optimistic, but we're a little bit scared to commit to anything too publicly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't wait to see you live again. Um, on the live streaming front, uh, another recommendation, um, maybe you already saw it, the, the other Finnish band, Aranti Pazuzu, uh, did a very cool live stream last spring. I don't know, May or June. They were pretty early in the in the game. Um, and I'm not sure if it's still available. It's probably on YouTube, but Aranzi Pazuzu has a very cool uh they they were in like this large hall, um, or maybe maybe like a warehouse or something like that. And they did a really cool lighting setup and very interesting camera work. So, you know, for the lack of having an audience, they made it three-dimensional the the film. Um, not 3D, but like three-dimensional with the camera moving, you know, around the band and stuff like that. And I thought that was a really cool way to bring something uh, unique to it. And of course, it was a lot of smoke and, you know, backlighting and his silhouettes and stuff. So it it, it created a, a cool mood and and gave, I think, the viewer a different experience than a live show. And because um, you, you were just mentioning like how you guys would do it, how it would fit your 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 way of doing things and maybe there's some inspiration there so i really appreciate the recommendation mm-hmm. i mean it's where i've had a, what feels like so much homework from the conversation <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm, no no i'm really grateful for it it's great i mean i'm always open to new suggestions and it's great to have some good ones definitely speaking of suggestions the last question i have for you is we like to end the show with a little section called what's in your walkman and uh is there any album or song or band that you've been listening to lately that's given you inspiration that you would share with our listeners and with your fans? I would be remiss not to mention our friends in Southern who recently released um, their latest album, which is fantastic. Love it. Uh, it's, it sounds great, really good songwriting, and Joel's voice, I think, is the best it's ever been, so yep. I'm really, really enjoying that. Uh, I've been digging into Mr. Bungle a lot recently. Yeah. Um, I've been having a great time with them actually like uh, some of the albums I've just never listened to before like uh, California I've got a newfound appreciation for how brilliant that is it's, it's crazy and it's all over the place but it's um, I think that's what makes it so great it, it, the, the playing's great the composition's really good but it's it's really out there so it, it's kind of a wild one um, other than that what else have I been listening to lately um, but yeah I think the, the reason I ended up there was the re-release of um, or the remake of The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny and uh, I just, I loved it. It's, I've not really listened to that kind of metal, I guess, ever really. But um, it, I've, I started going to the gym again at the start of this year. And if you want to keep yourself on the treadmill for a bit longer, that's a very, very handy record to listen to. So cool. 
Yeah, I, I guess Mr. Bungle and Sewing are my two pro tips for now. Uh, I've got. Oh, sorry, I've got one more. Yeah. Uh, Seller Darling's latest single, Dance. I oh, think yeah. it's it's spectacular. It's a one-off track rather than from an album, and um, I think it's one of the best they've done. It's really, really good. All right, I'll check that one out. And I have actually one more recommendation for you, only because you, you, you <laughs> only because you mentioned Mr. Bungle. Um, I just also said the name Mr. Bungle earlier because, um, or Lubianiker, um, who is a, a bassist from Israel, he's played with like Marty Friedman and Bumblefoot and a bunch of other people. He's a session bassist, but he just released his first solo record, and as it's like a bass solo record, I expected something like, you know, fusion-y jazz prog kind of thing, but it's totally like Mr. Bungle. It's like groovy. <laughs> the bass is ma- amazing. I think um, because the bass on you guys' records is awesome, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, it has like this big fat sound. There's, I think there's no electric guitars, uh, and it just like drives, and it has this kind of weirdness, like a Faith No More you know, Mr. Bungle meets the ocean. I don't know if you know the ocean collective. Oh, you're speaking my language. That sounds really, really good. You got to check it out. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> Lubianica. I can write you a little message too if you need help with the spelling. But, Please uh, do. Yeah. I've written it down, but I'm nearly 100% sure I'm wrong. So that would be great. Cool. <laughs> hey, James, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, your album, uh, Wheels album, Resident Human, drops March 26th. Uh, everywhere and I can't wait for its release and good luck really thank you so much and I so appreciate your time it's been a pleasure take care thank you Uh, to our fans uh, to our fans uh, listening at home uh, thanks for checking out the show Uh, take care of yourselves take care of your loved ones and listen to great music like Wheel (laughs) keep it Wheel absolutely Progcast is a Stuist Media podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Progcast Podcast. To learn more about Stuist Media, check out stuistmedia.com. Progcast is hosted and produced by Dario Albrecht and myself, Randy M. Salo, and is co-produced by Janine Stengel-Lewis and Blake Lewis. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant. New episodes of Progcast drop every Monday and Thursday, and don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite albums that drop that week. See you next time, Prog fam. Thank you.